Welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. Today's Gospel, told by St. Luke, at first seems perhaps to be an odd conglomerate of happenings put together due to their mere proximity to one another in time. First, Jesus casts out a demon from a man that is preventing him from being able to speak. Then there's this confrontation with some who doubted that Jesus was acting by the power of God, even at the very same moment that others were seeking signs from heaven. And then there was a discussion of the return of an unclean spirit. And finally, there is a woman in the crowd who lifts up her voice and says to him, Blessed is the womb that bare thee, and the paps which thou hast sucked. To which Jesus responds, Yea, rather, blessed are they that hear the word of God and keep it. But it seems that St. Luke and the church, in keeping them together in the lectionary, sees a deeper connection here. So the fundamental question, I think, for us right now is, how are these stories connected? And I hope to show you that each of these stories is about unity and division and how that relates to our connection with God. The very first event of the gospel is the healing of the man who cannot speak, a condition that used to be called dumb since it's natural to connect our ability to speak as human beings with our intellect, even though, of course, one can be a genius and unable to speak for any number of medical reasons. Take, for example, Stephen Hawking, who was affected by severe neurologic disease that kept him from speaking. He had quite a few good ideas, it seems. But the main point here is that this man, who Jesus healed, is demon-possessed. And this puts him in a state of division within himself. The demon disorders what this man was created to be and prevents him from being whole, from being fully in the image and likeness of God. For as we know, God speaks. Jesus himself is the word of God. And in this healing, Jesus puts this man back together and renews him. Yet despite this miracle, right in front of these people's eyes, they're not all closer to God, are they? Yes, it says some marveled, but others sought more. It says they were tempting him. They were trying to test him to see if he could do more. They wouldn't just accept the beauty of what they saw for what it was and accept the truth of God without seeing more. And others were saying that Jesus was doing it by the power of Beelzebub. Beelzebub, a pagan god derided by the Jews as the lord of the flies. And here in our gospel, Beelzebub, is being used as a direct reference to Satan. Now, interestingly, I find in the story, no one questions whether the miracle happened or whether it was just some sort of act. No, they are merely divided about whether the act was through the power of God or the power of Satan. And Jesus responds by saying this, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation and a house divided against itself falls. And by this, he further explains that if Satan is casting out demons, well, he's pretty sure to fail in his goals. Instead, he compares Satan to a strong man who's fully armed, guarding his own palace and at peace. Yet, he says that when a stronger man comes, which 
it's Jesus Christ himself, he'll take off of that um, strong man's armor in which he trusted and divide up his goods. And then Jesus says, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Now, I think this is a fascinating statement in the context of the story because it's both unifying and dividing. We see, uh, we've seen the danger of division, right, already in this passage. The danger of division we saw in the man overtaken by an evil spirit. We see the danger of division when this crowd can't even see whether something is from God or from man. But what Jesus is getting at here is that we have to find the line between him and everything else. That's dividing, but it brings us to a unity with God. And in verse 20, I think the central theme of our message is found. Jesus says, but if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. This verse shows the essential unity of God and God's unity with us. It shows that the only unity that matters is within the context of our relationship with God. How does it do that? Well, first, this statement is remarkable because of the phrase, finger of God. That phrase, in that way, is only found five times in the Bible. And when you consider the, con the connection and context, it really only appears three times. Two are, two are here in the New Testament and the parallel description of this same event in Matthew's Gospel. So they're really the same story, right? The other two instances are in the Old Testament. The first is in Exodus during the third plague. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. And they did so. And Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. So the magicians, the Pharaoh's magicians, tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. And then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them, as the Lord had said. The other time this happens, the finger of God, is in Exodus again, and also the recounting of the same story in the book of Deuteronomy. So that's, again, that is two things that are connected. So there are really only three times. This, this New Testament parable here, the, the third plague, and what I'm about to tell you. And that is at the inscription of the tablets of the Ten Commandments by none other than the finger of God. So I think this is a, indeed a very strong statement by Jesus. In fact, I go so far to say it's a claim of divinity. But regardless, it definitively shows us the unity in the God-man Jesus Christ, who is 100% God and 100% man. The finger of God, right? And it shows the consequence of that unity, that the kingdom of God has come upon us. The kingdom of God is the ultimate victory of God over our enemies, over Satan, over the demonic powers, over death, bringing the real peace that that strong man before Satan thinks he has because the stronger man is here and he will be victorious. He will bring the kingdom of God. So that all seems okay, but then we turn to this like side story. It seems like. 
Jesus gives this warning. It's not exactly clear what he means. I mean, if we listen to the gospel carefully, it sounds like it's all the Spirit's fault, right? I mean, the Spirit goes out. He can't find a place to rest. So he comes back. And, and guess what? It sounds like the man's done, seemingly done everything right, right? He's got the place swept up. He's got it looking very inviting. Sounds like what we should do, right? But I think that's the point. There's no defense. In fact, instead of having posted a strong man at the door to keep this demon out, he's somehow made it even more inviting for the spirit to come back. So what has the man forgotten? Well, remember in the story that it says that the demon goes out, what does he want? He wants a dry place, kind of strange, right? He wants to go out into the desert, and he can't find that. So this man has forgotten to unite himself with God. Instead, he's become his own island, vain in the sense that he's prettified up his place and given room not just to the first evil spirit, but for seven more to be added to it. The spirit was seeking a dry place, and that's what he found, an empty place with plenty of room, dry in that it wasn't filled with the living water of God through union with God. And so this man's house, after getting rid of his demon, remains divided. And then finally, and it happened as he spoke these things, the woman cries out, giving him a blessing. Sometimes these words are used to divide the church. In Protestant circles, they are often used against uh, Catholics and Orthodox, read as implying that somehow we should not venerate the Virgin Mary the way we do, because you know Jesus is saying, no, blessed instead are those that hear the word of God and keep it, not the womb that bore you and the breast that nursed you. But ironically, perhaps to folks who like to use these against us, these are the verses we read during the feasts of most feasts of the Virgin Mary. So must be something to that, right? And we do that because to us, they amplify, not negate the importance of the Virgin Mary. Because we venerate her not only because she was chosen to bear Jesus and nurse him and take care of him, No, but more so because she was capable and chooses through truly hearing the word of God and keeping it to be faithful to God and his word. She was not a dry, desolate place, but rich and fertile soil that could not accommodate even one evil spirit. All she could accommodate was the very son of God through her faithfulness. And further today, I, like, I would like to note that this is usually the feast of St. Joseph, Jesus' legal father. But because of Sundays, uh, because of Sunday, the Sundays can only be superseded by very few feasts. And because St. Joseph's Day is important, we actually don't demote it in any way to celebrate it today. We just push it to Monday. It gets translated, we call it, to Monday. But I want to mention St. Joseph. Because again, I think that it fits into our story of unity, unity of a house that he represents. And we, of course, all know the story that when Joseph found out that Mary was pregnant, that he wanted, and and I think we've discussed that this was quite mercifully so at the time, to put her away quietly rather than make something public of it. But after his visit from an angel telling him to proceed with marrying Mary, what does he do? 
he is faithful to that. He protects Mary. He protects his son with gusto. He takes them to Egypt until it's safe to return. He cares for them for the remainder of his life. Um, and so we also venerate and honor St. Joseph today, tomorrow. And as you hear, he's one of the saints that we um, uh, memorialize every time we have our prayers for the saints. We talk about the Virgin Mary, St. Joseph. We talk about our patron, St. Alma. So these are all um, ways that we venerate this unity in God. A divided house cannot stand, but Mary herself and Joseph with her are a great example of a house united. United not selfishly, not internally directed, but a house unified by love of God and directed toward God. So as we continue our Lenten journey, I pray you seek unity with God in all that you do, for in God alone is found true unity, a unity of love shared by three equally divine persons who share their love and unity with all of us. This week, as you continue to face the challenges of Lent, remember not to just empty yourself of evil, but fill yourself with good. Because without that good, that good which can only come from God, you'll be a dry, desolate place where the enemy will come. Instead, fill yourself with that good that can only come with God. Then you'll be a house united, a house safe from the enemy. Or if we're not with God, we're against him. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.